0: Thanks for having me this morning. Um, he's right. He told on me I am a bit energetic. It's because I have four girls and um, I am a pastor. And uh, whenever uh, Mike Fetchner, who founded Bridge Builders, um, he and I talked one day and I said, Mike, we're doing all these incredible things in South Dallas. But the one thing that this community needs is a Bible teaching church. And I have a few guys that I went to seminary with that can help you plant this church. And uh, Mike looked at me about five months later. And told me, he said, God told me to tell you to plant the church. I said, no, he did not. Um, he did not confirm that. And he's not to, to speak to me through a burning bush in order for me to do that. I served six years at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship with Dr. Tony Evans as a student pastor. I was not pastoring. I said, I'm done. And then, of course, be careful what you tell God you're not going to do. And, uh, of course, we planted Restoration Community Church out of Bridge Builders. And um, in God's humor, uh, Mike who was my hero in the faith that I served, um, as long as he had breath in his lung, passed uh, to stage four lung cancer uh, literally eight months into the church plant. So then everybody looked at Vaughn and was like, okay, what are we doing? So um, four and a half, almost five years of just just serving the Lord, serving the people at Restoration, um, we merged with another church called Mercy Street Church, and I came back on the executive side of Bridge Builders, and now I'm serving as Vice President of Operations with Jonathan Fetchner, his incredible son, um, who looks like him, has mannerisms like him, and loves Jesus and people like him. So, I am so excited to be with you guys today. This is what we're going to do first. I'm going to pray for us, and then is it okay today um, if we take a theological deep dive into Scripture? Does anybody love the Bible? Anybody love God's Scripture this morning? So, if you do that, if you love the Lord and you love His Scripture, then today we're going to have an incredible time together and I promise I'll get out of your hair in about uh, about 25-30 minutes I wish I had hair so let me pray for us this morning Father thank you so much for this day and God thank you that there is power in the resurrection and Lord it is such a beautiful thing to see this church and just the influence that you've given this church and that there's so many people that have said yes to you so many And this church is making an impact, not only in this area of the city, but around the world. So, God, today, will you just speak to us, speak to us in our circumstances, and be glorified in this? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, let's do this real quick. I don't know if you use Bible apps, I don't know if you use um, your actual physical copy of the Bible. I'm old school, so I still have, like, the actual Bible. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. And um, I'm going to look today. Well, we're going to go from verses 1 through 9, but I want to read verses 7 through 9, which will be my emphasis scriptures for this morning. I hear, oh my gosh, I hear paper flipping. That is unbelievable. Whoever still has like real copies of the Bible, you're the saved ones. Everybody else, I don't know. I don't know. Wait, <laughs> like somebody said, e saved. That's exactly right. e saved. So the Bible says, because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pled with the Lord. Three times I pled with the Lord. Take this away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Let me read verse eight one more time. Three times I pled with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I want our talk to be housed under the topic this morning. I want everybody to repeat this after me. Grace. Grace. For grownups. Grace for grownups. The Apostle Paul is a writer of this letter to the church at Corinth. And this is Paul's second letter. And this letter is deeply personal, as Paul was addressing a number of issues that have come up in a small but growing church. But his primary focus in this letter is to defend his ministry and his apostleship as both were being attacked by false teachers. And they were putting Paul down and discrediting his ministry. These these false teachers, these preachers were suggesting that they were having visions and revelations and that Paul could not be authentic Because he has not experienced the same visions and revelations of God that they had. Paul knew that the acceptance of his ministry and the message of the gospel had to be directly tied to the Corinthians church, their spiritual well-being. So when Paul gets to chapter 12, he is letting the church at Corinth know that he has had visions and revelations. And he's just not being, um, bragging or braggadocious about these visions and, and revelations because he says that to them in this, in this verse of scripture that bragging somewhat is useless. But now you guys have pushed me to boast about things that I really don't want to boast about. These, these so called super apostles have claimed to have these visions and revelations in their minds that legitimizes their ministry. Well, Paul is telling them I have had them too. And then we get to verse one and I'm trying to Uses clicker at the same time that I speak, so you got to bear with me a little bit. I'm I'm technologically, uh, technologically uh, uh, challenged a bit. Paul says in verse one, this boasting is also foolish. But let me go on. Let me tell about the visions and revelations that I have received from the Lord. So the key word here is visions and revelations. It's the revealed knowledge of God defined. Paul is communicating that God has given him this revealed knowledge about about himself that is so great that whenever he talks about it, he communicates as if it is happening to someone else. Paul is suggesting that this experience is so awesome that he talks about this like it literally happened to another person. Then he says in verses 2 and 3, I know a man... In Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And I know that this man, whether in body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows in the life application Bible. It says whether my body was there or just my spirit. I don't know. Only God knows. So let's do a biblical deep dive. Biblically, the first heaven is where we are. The second heaven is located um, where the sun and the moon and the stars are. And in the third heaven is where the throne of God is. Paul is communicating that he went above the atmosphere, then went beyond the sun, the moons and stars. And he finds himself in the very presence of God, the throne room of God in the third heaven. Paul writes, I have had visions and revelations that God has revealed himself to me. And then in verse four, he says, I was caught up to paradise. And heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. He says, I have heard things so great that God has commanded me not even to speak on these things. I have experienced things that other people have not experienced so much. In fact, Paul says, I was caught up in the paradise. The word, um, friends and family, caught up, comes from the Greek word harpazo, which is to mean to be snatched up or to be taken by force. The same Greek word is used in 1 Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, to describe the rapture. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, taken by force, snatched together with them. And then Paul makes this emphasis on paradise. I love this. Um, In the first century, kings would have customized their palace, a, a courtyard, this beautiful landscape. And this was known as the inner court. That literally was inside the palace, but outside the palace, if that makes sense. The kings would call these courtyards paradise. When the king would want to bestow a certain honor upon someone, he would invite them to the palace to walk and have union with him and communion with him in these walled-in gardens with the king called paradise. Paul is communicating to us this morning, this is what happened to him. He says, I was caught up in the house of God and I had communion and union with the king of kings in the Lord, of Lord in paradise. Paul is talking about the visions and revelations to prove to prove that he is authentic, that he is real. Now, remember, friends, that these visions and revelations are the revealed knowledge of God. In other words, these are the basis for Paul's theology, his theology. Theology simply means his study and practice and experience with God. And his study and practice in theology with God is being um, really set in verses 1 through 4. After Paul after Paul's theology is set, he says now in verse 7, Because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. I love this. He says... Um, Because of this, a messenger of Satan has given me a thorn to torment me. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, a messenger from Satan to torment me. But Paul is suggesting in this text that first I had to write my theology, the visions and revelation, the revealed knowledge of God. After my theology is established... Now I have what I need in order to handle the thorn in my flesh. In essence, Paul is saying, I'm not going to use my thorn in the flesh, the issues that I'm facing, to shape my theology, my study, practices, and experience with God. But rather, I'm going to use my theology, what I know about God, to help me deal with my thorn. Is there anybody in this house today that has a thorn that they're dealing with? I need, I need to see some hands. If you have not dealt with a thorn, trust me, if you live long enough, you will have to deal with a thorn. And what Paul is suggesting to us, friends and family, is that he's not going to allow his thorn to give him a place to make an assumption about God. Rather, he's going to allow his theology to have him gratify God, glorify God, Because his theology will write his knowledge about the thorn that he's struggling with. That's so good this morning. See, friends, I'm I'm speaking first to myself. Many of us are backwards in our understanding of God. We look at the thorns in our flesh, our bad experiences, our difficulties, and our hardship. And when we evaluate those situations, we then, based on our experience, try to shape our theology. So it's the thorn in the flesh. It could have been biology. So I, I take my messed up biology and I try to use it to shake my theology. So because I'm sick and haven't been healed, I come to the conclusion that God is not a healer because I'm looking at it backwards. I need to start with my theology. The revelation of God that's found in his word that he is Jehovah Rapha. The God that heals. And then I take my theology to help up my messed up theology. Do I have a witness in this place? See, many of our experience shape our theology, our understanding of God, rather than us relying on our understanding of God to help us deal with the experience. Many of us maybe are, are not sick or we don't know a loved one that's sick. Maybe it's the economy. My 401K is down because of this incredible vacillations that are happening in the market. My business projections are off because of COVID. I'm losing money. Then I will take my messed up economy and have it shape my theology and come to the conclusion that God must not be a provider. That's backwards. Start with your theology, the revelation of God in his word, and stand up on Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all my needs according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God can not and will not fail. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise because God is true in this. Don't take your sociology. sociology. Don't take your experiences in the world to shape your theology. Well, God has messed up. If God is not loving, then why do bad things happen to good people? Why all the political infighting? Why the pandemic? Why or why not the vaccines? Why the racial unrest? Why all the mass shootings? Why have 700,000 people lost their lives in this country to a virus? We must, as believers, lean into what is bibliocentric and start with our theology, our visions, revelation, understanding of God, the revealed knowledge of God, and stand upon his word that of Romans 8, And we know that in all things, God is working those things together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Do I have anybody in this place? that believes that no weapon formed against us will prosper because I believe that I believe that our God is in control of all things and I will take my theology, what I believe about God, the truth and the inerrant word of God, and I will not allow anything in this world to shake my theology, to shake my thorn other than what is true in God's word. Somebody say amen. Paul is teaching us this morning. Now that Paul has his theology set, isn't it funny that it's written in order? The thorn does not take its place in this verse until Paul's theology is set. Then, verse seven: A thorn was given to me. The thorn and the the thorn in the flesh. Let's look at the anatomy of the thorn. The thorn in the flesh, friends, has been theorized to be several things. Um, some theologians suggest that Paul was suffering from some sort of sickness. Um, Epilepsy, some suggest, um, that he had a brain disorder that that caused seizures. Some say that Paul's uh, uh, um, haters, uh, those that had opposition with him, was his thorn in the flesh. Some suggest that the thorn in the flesh was depression. That Some theorize that Paul went through great bouts with depression because of what he was going through. And I can only imagine me and Paul. He went through a lot, y'all. I would be suffering through depression, too, if I went through what he had been through. But then others suggest that the thorn in the flesh was his eyesight, that he couldn't see well. In fact, um, he writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, see what large letters I use. Some suggested that he suffered with poor eyesight. And as I get older, I, too, am suffering from poor eyesight. Nobody knows what Paul's thorn was because he never tells us in the scripture. And I'm glad he didn't. Because I believe had he had told us what it was, and if we weren't going through what he was going through um, in that particular situation, then we more than likely would dismiss this, this talk, this sermon. Here it is. Um, your thorn in the flesh is very likely um, something that is, shall I suggest, painful and perpetual. Why would I... Suggest that. Well, verse eight, the scripture says, Um, three times I pled with the Lord about this, that it may leave me. This is a painful situation that Paul is facing every day. And someone in the house this morning is going through a painful situation, and each morning you're not being awakened by an alarm, but you're being awakened to the reality of this thorn, this thorn that has been perpetual and painful. Maybe it's a disease or sickness that has attacked you and your family. Maybe it's a divorce or separation that has at least shaken the foundation of your life. How am I going to overcome this? Maybe it's a battle with depression or mental illness. Maybe it's a messed up situation um, at your job or in your business. Maybe it's an antagonist that is in the inside of the faith or someone outside of the faith that wants to see you fail. If you're facing um, pain on a perpetual level this morning... This is indeed your thorn in the flesh. Now, here's the question that I want to ask us this morning. Where did this thorn in the flesh come from? Where? Paul writes in verse 7, a thorn was given to me. Now, who is it that gave me this perpetual plane? This prolonged predicament that I am? Um, For 2,000 years, theologians have argued as to who is... That that gives us these thorns. Someone um, suggests that it is the devil himself. As a matter of fact, it says in the text in verse 7, a messenger from Satan to harass me. So some would say, well, it's clear that the thorn comes from the devil. Y'all agree? Seems fairly clear. But if we're looking at the text, wait. But it says in the same verse in verse 7, to keep me from being conceited and arrogant. Hmm. That's a juxtaposition, right? The enemy is never going to give us anything that in its design is to humble us and make us look like Jesus. The devil knows that the more arrogant and conceited we are, we look like him. But the more humble we are, we look like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. If anyone this morning can relate to thorns... It is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the devil does not want us to relate to Christ and his suffering so that we may not relate to Christ in his exaltation. So which is it? Is it God giving it to me so that I may identify with Christ in suffering and humility? Or is it the devil trying to harass and torment me? Friends, this morning I submit that it's both and the same. It is the devil trying to torment and harass us. And it's God arranging it, but allowing it because it could not happen without God allowing it. I don't believe God goes around making people sick, but God allows sickness. The enemy, the devil, according to John 10, 10, only comes but to steal, kill and destroy. Why does the Lord allow the enemy access to torment us? I would suggest that God uses it according to the scripture to keep us humble. The enemy and God are using the same thing at the same time, seeking to come out with two different destinations. Somebody say, hey, man. So the enemy comes with the thorn trying to get us to fall into perversion. But God uses it so that it would teach us to stand with purpose. The enemy uses the thorn to torment us and drive us away from God. But God allows us to draw us near to him. The enemy is trying to knock us down with the thorn, but God allows it so that he can raise us up. The enemy is trying to destroy us and break us with the thorn, but God allows it to shape and make us this morning. But that's a really good word, right? But it doesn't stop the fact that it's painful. And it's perpetual. And frankly, I don't know if you guys have been through anything But I'm going through a situation right now with my daughter. She's 13 years old. And when she was nine, she was struck with a disease called alopecia universalis. One day she has a full head of hair. And the next day she doesn't. God, if you're loving, why would you do this to me? Why would you make my baby girl go through this? If you're going to do anything, God, do it to me. I can take it. Not my child. Not my baby girl. Who has three older sisters that have hair running down their back. God, why would you allow this to happen? Do I have anybody in this place that's ever been in a place in your life where you're looking at God and you're asking him, why did you allow this to happen? This is painful. It's perpetual. I can't take another day of this. God, you have to do something about this. I'm pleading with you. Take this away. Paul is asking God Please take this thorn from me. And seemingly, after not hearing from the Lord, the scripture says that the Lord speaks. And watch what God says to Paul. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. God, I've been praying for this for a year, two years. I've been praying about this for a decade. And you've gone phone-solid on me. And then whenever you decide to speak to me about this thing that is causing me perpetual pain, you tell me, no, no. You tell me that you're not going to remove the thorn because your grace is sufficient for me? That your power is perfected in my weakness? God is, guys, as I'm studying this and preparing for this message, I'm perplexed. Here it is. Paul, faithful, giving, sacrificing, loving, encouraging, humble Paul. And God says, no. My grace is sufficient. In other words, this is what God says to Paul, and this is what God is telling us this morning. I'm not going to change your circumstances. But I'm going to give you the grace you need to deal with it. Everybody say deal with it. Sometimes we just have to deal with it. But friends, how could something as beautiful as God's grace Feels so bad. God's grace, defined in the New Testament, means God's love and action toward men and women who merited the opposite of that. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending his only son to descend into hell on the cross so that we guilty may be reconciled to God and received into heaven. Grace is the unmerited or undeserved favor of God to those who are under condemnation. But how could something as beautiful as God's grace be so painful? How could something so wonderful, so amazing cause me to hurt so bad? I want to close with this. Grace is like a husband who wants to show his wife how much he loves her. So he buys her a beautiful box of freshly cut roses wrapped in a bow. And in his his excitement, he gives his wife this box. Her eyes are beaming Her heart is beating faster. She's excited to get the box. She can hardly untie the bow fast enough. She opens up the box and immediately she can smell the wonderful smell. So she reaches inside the box and she grabs the rose, but she grabs the rose by the stem. And immediately pain shoots up her arm and blood begins to gush out of her hand. Something so beautiful, yet something so painful. And now she has a choice. She can say to the rose, Rose, I reject you because you hurt me. You caused me pain. Or she could become angry with her husband and tell him, why, if you really love me, would you not have taken the time to at least shave the thorns off the stems? But you know what she does, surprisingly? She doesn't throw down the rose. Nor does she become angry at her husband she continues to hold the rose by the stem in spite of her pain because she knows that the intent of the giver was not to hurt her, but to show her how much he loves her. Can I ask you a question this morning, friends? Can you hold God by the stem when a loved one dies? Can you hold God by the stem when the doctor says, It's cancer and there's nothing that we can do about it. Can you hold God by the stem when you get laid off or fired from your job? Can you hold God by the stem when you have to close the business? Can you hold God by the stem when life does not work out the way that you thought by the stem after divorce? Because you know God's intent was never to hurt you, but to show you how much he loves you. And do I have anybody in this place that knows that God loves you? I'm under no illusions this morning, and I know that people are here, and you didn't even want to come to church today. Somehow you drug your way out of the house. You made your way into God's house, hurting and bleeding, holding God by the stem. And you know what? There's something about invisible bleeding that's much more consequential than when someone says, I see the blood. You know when you're bleeding with the inside, and nobody can see. And you're masking your hurt with a smile. You're serving anyway. I'm not under any illusions. Somebody's hurting this morning. But you've made up your mind, God, I will love you. I will still praise you. I will still follow you. I will still worship you. That's when you're maturing in your faith. And I've come... To say to the church. That it's time for us to grow up. Will we still worship God. If he does not measure to our expectation. Can you still say. My faith looks up to Thee? This is the anatomy of the thorn. Can you love God. When he's allowing you to bleed. Can you love God. When God is allowing you to hurt. God may not. Kill your loved one. God may not deliver your child and I believe that He still is the God that heals but are you willing family to hold on to the stem when God says no? That's grace for grown-ups. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your grace That your grace is sufficient. That even as we bleed, that your power is perfected in our weakness. I pray that as it is even in verse 10, that we would boast even more proudly in our affliction because if you'd be for us, Who can be against us? Father, I wish that uh, everything would be okay for the believer. And that it was all prosperity and everything is great. But that's not the life of the believer. The one thing that we will have in this world is trouble. But Father, thank you for giving us the grace to have perspective while we're in it. And if we never come out of the circumstance that we're in, it doesn't make you any less, God. Thank you for offering your Son, Christ Jesus, for our sins. And I pray for anyone that's in this class. This message may have been just for me today, I don't know. But I pray if there's anybody here today, whatever you head bowed and every eye closed and you're You've been bleeding. Will you just lift your hand? Just lift your hand in this place and just say, God, I've been, I've been going through. Amen. I pray for them. Thank you, Father, for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise for his word this morning?